0: Hop in line as Cannondale brings the road show
1: online with the Cannondale Road Cycling Podcast. Please join us for the ride with your host, Jonathan Guerin, Canada Road Marketing Manager. Hello, Cannondale fans. I'm Jonathan Guerin with the Cannondale Marketing Team. I am sitting here with longtime long-time Cannondale athlete and brand ambassador, six-time national cyclocross champion, Tim Johnson. Tim, welcome to the Cannondale Podcast. Hey, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's great to have you here. Um, How has life been for you since Worlds? It's been a little up
0: and down. Um, I I ended the season at Worlds by crashing at the end of the first lap and uh, went flying into a a metal fence after cross-rutting in the mud, and uh, I thought I broke my forearm. Turns out my forearm wasn't broken, but I actually broke my elbow and uh and had some shoulder issues but going from going from racing full blasts pumped up for the world championships to being you know walked off with a mylar blanket on was a little bit of a tough transition but you know really there's there's no better time to be injured than at the end of the season so i haven't really been riding much but um you know i've been trying to trying to come back from 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 that and kind of enjoy the offseason
1: Speaking of not riding much, I saw uh, a screenshot of your phone with zero miles and zero rides in the last 28 days from your Strava. What's it like being a professional cyclist and not riding <laughs> for six weeks? How's that? How's that mentally? How's that physically? What's that like for you?
0: Uh, you know, it's it's not the it's not the ideal way to, to be a professional <laughs> rider by not riding, but um, I, I think it's really a good way to to go through that transition of of ending a season and starting a new one. I mean, I, am not letting my, my fitness drop completely. I'm not gaining 20 pounds and and haven't been outside or, or haven't been active. We've been, we've been snowshoeing and, and Nordic skiing and backcountry skiing. And, you know, all that stuff is a part of, um, you know, really just being, having an active lifestyle. You know, I, I may, I may be a retired guy someday and, and get a little gut, but I'm, I'm never going to be the one who's inside all the time, you know, being outside and and having that lifestyle is definitely a part of me.
1: Yeah. So, um, off the bike skiing, those kinds of things. Did you grow up skiing? Is that a passion that you've had as a child or is this something you, you learned as an adult that this outdoor activity is as fun as riding a bicycle. Well,
0: I, I think that the skiing side of things, I didn't grow up skiing. I was I was a kid riding my my BMX bike or skateboard, and if it was in the winter, I was on a snowmobile, which is like wow. the opposite yeah. than uh, than a kid on a lift. But um, I've I've cross country skied, I've nordic skied a lot, and uh, I've just kind of started honing my downhill skills, which I will hold back from saying skills um i skied powder for the first time which is pretty cool and all it made me want to do is ski it more um but no that that um doing stuff like that is just it's so fun and it's so refreshing mentally but but physically the the trans transformation of fitness from backcountry skiing which is skinning uphill and then going downhill i think it translates great for cycling it's a lot of the same kind of the core muscles are always, you know, always a part of it, but also the uh, just the level of fitness is if you're looking for like zone one or zone two, it's perfect. It's it's exactly that. And then on the way down, you rip and you, know, you can have a blast. So I think it helps out a lot of stuff for cycling.
1: Yeah. So your career as as it seems as though in professional racing, every career is in a transition from NeoPro to uh, you know best young rider to experienced professional. You, you are in the experienced professional ranks now. Um, you're a mentor to young athletes, whether they're on your team or not. Um, what's your transition like as a pro today? Having started the team Cannondale Crossworld.com with your good friend Stu, what's your transition like today? Given your experience and, and maturity versus you know ten years ago when you were a younger whippersnapper and your transition was about road captain and speed. yeah.
0: Well, I think it was probably more than ten years ago uh, now, okay. but. Um, you know, the, when I was, when I was starting out, I went from mountain bike to cross to road and, and even though I liked to cross a lot, there were, there really wasn't an opportunity to race it more than just for a couple months out of the year. Um, you know, I went to Europe, I, I lived there full time and raced and, and did all those, did all those races as a part of, uh, you know, a, a Belgian team. And I got, I was exposed to a lot of different things, but I didn't have an option to be a professional cross rider. It wasn't really there. Um, what we've been able to do here in the states is we've been able to build up the scene, and, and we've really been a part of creating this the fastest growing discipline in U.S. cycling. The the most racer days, the most events that are out there. You can do a cross race anywhere in the country, all cross season long, and you'll be out there with five hundred or thousand people that are doing the same thing. You know, all over. It's crazy to see how much it's grown. Um, so now I think as a young rider, you have an option of of becoming a professional cross rider and, and making that your discipline to where you want to su- succeed nationally and internationally. Um, we have a different brand of cross in the States compared to what is the, you know, the, the known Belgian formula. Right. Um, when I first started, Switzerland was really big in cross and, and yeah. in France a little bit in the Netherlands, Belgium is completely dominated the scene, but that's not the only way to do it. I think we have a great brand of what we do here in the States for cross um, so it's there are going to be opportunities for kids now to,
1: to become a professional cross rider and that's uh, it's pretty exciting you've got to take a, a bit of sense of pride having made that leap from a professional road cyclist or a professional mountain biker who then races cross as a supplement to their their road or mountain calendar um, you got to take a bit of pride in how you've took that risk and put it out there that now there's three disciplines in which an athlete, a professional athlete can earn a good living, race the races they want to race, build the program they want to build with road, mountain, or cyclocross.
0: Yeah, there's, um, you know, the, having having my cross racing be a complement to my road racing was really the only way I could do it for a while. Um, I would race a full road season. I'd do tour California, tour Georgia, tour Missouri, all the biggest races we had in the States. We'd race in Europe a little bit, and then I would race my cross bike and I'd race all the races we had and, and get to a world championships and start all over again. So it was almost like an 11 and a half month season season every year. Yeah. And it wasn't really sustainable the way that I was doing it. I was trying to make it work, but it wasn't quite. So eventually I got to the point where I was able to create an opportunity to, to really only race cross and step away from the road. Um, it was almost too much of a good thing that first year I had all this time on my hands and, and, I was missing that forced training that I would get from the 80 race days of road right. racing right. without realizing that I had been training my, my you know, guts out that yeah. whole time. Um, so now I've, I've really tried to make that balance a little better and have the, the fitness training that I need to get ready for the season, but also taking advantage of that time when I'm not racing in the spring and summer and, and, and to do some of the things that I find to be, um, to be fun.
1: So I think another risk that we see presented to cross athletes today, it's not so much about racing cross and dedicating themselves to cross. It's racing in North America or racing in Europe. How do you, how do you counsel or mentor or consider those decisions of, of those athletes that are making or approached with that decision to race here in North America or Europe? Um, more?
0: Well, I think it really depends on, on who they are and at what point in their career they're at. We right. have um, we have a, we have a great opportunity here in the states where if you have if you have a combination of results and and you know personality you can develop a program that will support you you'll be able to you know win the prize money get a salary and also you know be able to develop some kind of a a brand for that for yourself to to where you can actually make a career out of it Um, you know what we see with the European racing is that, yeah, we need harder courses. We need to race at a higher level. So when we do go to Europe, we're not at a disadvantage. We need to race the fastest people more often. Um, You know, something like the women's racing, they have the fastest women in the world here in the States as well as in Europe. But it's also, they're mostly North Americans or North American based. Um, So they're in a different situation than say we are in the men where we are racing at a high level here in the States and we go to Europe, we aren't quite at that level of those fast guys that have raced those same races 15 times and, yeah. you know, know that corner before the course tape's even laid out, you know, how right. it's going to react to the right. mud and the ruts and all that stuff. Um, so I think for for me, it, at my level, it's a different question than, you know, a younger rider who's, who's 21. Yeah. Um, I would counsel them to take a longer term view of, of things Realizing that there are, are they are there are opportunities here in the states where it'll help them in the long run, versus um, you know just I want to go to Europe. I want to go to Europe. I want to go to right. Europe. So right. if you have time to do that. We have a great system here. Look at the system. Try and take advantage of it, and
1: then make that move. Yep. And I,
0: I don't think it's gonna it won't hurt them
1: at all. Tim, we were talking about young athletes like Logan, Curtis White. One of your teammates. Who are you looking to within the within the elite category for cyclocross as a an athlete that might come up and replace you? Be somebody you watch out for as a competitor?
0: Uh, we keep talking about kids that are going to replace me. I don't know if that's really <laughs> the topic I want to talk about, but uh, I I think there are a lot of uh, a lot of young riders that are coming up and cross. That in years past it's always been you know one kid or or one rider that's everyone's really talking about. But I feel like we're at a point where there's going to be three, four, five, six kids, 10 kids that are gonna kind of make this next move. Um, it, you know to name those kids, I don't know there's there's a lot of um, our junior nationals this year was very competitive. there were there was a group of like six or seven kids just out there battling right from the very gun um, behind Peter Gogan but you know I think there's a lot there's there's a lot of opportunity. we have a lot of racing to choose from being able to race at the, at the world level, you don't always see those kids right away, and sometimes the kids that do the best early on don't necessarily do the best later on. Um, but I think it's I'm, I'm hopeful for it, for sure.
1: Cool. What do you think about the talk about uh, Vegas becoming a possible World Cup event?
0: I think Vegas is one of our best races. It has a, a feel that is unique to the sport, which is why they want to include it in the World Cup. The World Cup traditionally has been... Um, you know, the races that they try and put in the markets that aren't the strongest to to give us a foothold or to, con- to continue a foothold. Um, you know, a lot of the races that we have in Belgium are, are bigger than the World Cups. And the UCI kind of has this World Cup to try and keep that, you know, the frontier out there. You know, we, we had a pretty close run in and having a World Cup here in the States a few years back. Brooke at, at Vegas, he, he puts on a a race that has shown that, that international potential and, and the Belgians really have, have gotten behind it. And a lot of the other riders from the other countries too. And it's a great way to start off the year. So I think, um, I think it's going to fly really well next year. I think that they were even talking about it this year, but I also know that there's probably going to be a second world cup date and directly after the, uh, Vegas. So I think we might end up with, with two in
1: 2015. <clears throat> so um, last year, Cross Worlds here in the U.S., massive crowds at Nationals for Cross. Slight de- deviation from there. What are you looking forward to with World Championships on the road being in Richmond, Virginia in 2015?
0: I think that's going to be such a great weekend. I was lucky enough to do the Road Worlds twice in in Hamilton, Ontario, and also in uh, Zolder, Belgium. And uh, you know, seeing and being a part of a race that takes seven hours and you know 270 k of just up and down all over the place, I I was able to do the U.S. Open in Richmond when they first started it a bunch of years ago and. And know what that course is like, and and working with the organizers a little bit, we actually had um, we had the organizer come with us on the ride in Washington last year as a, as a fundraising rider, because he really wants to make sure that he leaves a, or they leave a lasting legacy in Richmond of something that really holds on to bikes not only just for the the race, you know, it's it's two weekends that really take over the city, but he wants him he wants them to really hold on to something from from cycling for a lot longer than that. I think it's going to be a great
1: show. Yeah, we're all excited to see that come to the U.S. for sure. <clears throat> Given that your focus is on cyclocross and and not on the road category anymore, your your role with Cannondale has changed quite a bit um, over the last couple of years. And this year, you're taking even a bigger step. I think perhaps laying some groundwork for future um, opportunities within the bike industry. But you're going to transition more to a brand ambassador role now with Cannondale. How do you, when you weigh what you're doing for training on the cross? side and being a professional cross rider with all the commitments and requirements that a brand ambassador might require of you how do you look at that stuff and how do you devote energies to one or the other um, as you start to take on additional roles just as a professional athlete well
0: I think having the having the balance of you know preparing athletically to to get ready for the cross season you know that's training and and getting ready for the season is really riding and and taking the time to make sure that I'm at a level of training that's good enough for for the racing and that's also a lifestyle thing you know I've been I've been able to figure out that balance actually I think without the extra without that pressure of being a band, brand ambassador like when I first started racing just cross all of a sudden I had my spring and summer open right. and I was like whoa what am I going to do with all this time right so I just said yes to everything and I was so busy, I barely trained and I had a terrible year, you know, I could barely get out and do well in the races. And so I finally figured out that I, I need to add in more of, you know, that type of specific training to make sure I'm I'm hitting my, hitting my numbers. But then I also have realized over the years of, of racing and traveling so much is that there's so much time that I wasted as a young rider focusing just on the training and not yeah. paying attention to the wider, um, the wider world of, of, sport and also of business and life. You know, there's it's like, you can dedicate a hundred percent of your life to, to just racing, which is, it's always a goal to do that. But I also, you know, at racing at the level that I was racing, I don't think I necessarily needed to do that. So I think this is actually like a, a great way to balance it. Um, you know, if I were, if I were on the, you know, Canada Pro Cycling and I was and I were getting ready for the tour and I was a top ten contender, then no, I wouldn't be able to travel and, right. and and do all these other things that I consider to be fun and enjoy doing, at that level, they're a nuisance and getting in the way of, you know, my two hour nap every day and yeah. my massage and you know, my grandmother motor pacing me for getting ready for the race, like, you know, I, I I'm lucky. I'm very lucky yeah. and fortunate that I'm able to do this.
1: So as part of your brand ambassador role, you know it's being an advocate for the brand, of course. It's being an advocate for cycling. Um, we asked you to come here to our Wilton offices today and talk with the entire organization, give your perspective on that, Secrets from the Pro. What kind of trends are you seeing product-wise that, A, are either going to revolutionize cycling or in the near term really start to change the way people think about bikes, the way they ride bikes, racing, etc. cetera?
0: Well I think it's um it's how people get into the sport if it's um you know looking at looking at racing as as your hook or looking at um, you know the way that a lot of people came into cycling in the in the late or the early two thousands um, you know are they staying in the sport that way is it is it because they they get into the sport because it's something they started to ride more because they had the time where they they wanted to commute or they wanted to to spend more time outside or, or, you know, or maybe they had to ride, whatever it is. But, um, I think cycling is more than, is more than just what we see from the racing side. You know, it's more than just spandex and and wearing a number and going out and racing on the weekends. And, you know, really having the identity of a cyclist is also someone that can jump on the bike to go to the store real quick, or, you know, maybe they want to take the family out on a bike bath and, and go ride because that's something they can do together. Um, As we see more and more opportunities to ride because of really just taking the time to do it or or, um, being able to take advantage of some of the the bike paths and bike lanes that are out there and bike share and all that stuff, cycling is just becoming easier to do. And the more that that happens, then the more we'll see people that don't necessarily get into it just because of the race, but because they like what they're doing.
1: So one of the things that, of course, a brand ambassador needs to be able to talk to the CEO down to everybody that works on the floor, that does the sales, that works on the floor at the shop. And that's great. Those are things that, you know, when we think of you as an athlete, you're sort of the intelligent thinker, the intelligent cyclist, and that's great. But, of course, that's riding. So we've got a ride coming up in Kentucky where you went to college. Um, So we'll be on some roads that you're very familiar with. It's a ride geared towards this sort of epic nature, a lot of miles in one day, As a brand ambassador, of course, we have you talking to everybody from the CEO to the shop guys on the floor, um, educating them about the bikes, the product, the brand. And that's cool. I know you enjoy doing that. You know, we consider you sort of the intelligent thinker on a bike here, which is great because we rely on you for that. But part of it as well is for sure riding a bike. And one of the things that we've got scheduled for you in May, where you went to college in Kentucky, is doing a pretty killer ride on the roads there that sort of mirror the some of the Kentucky distilleries. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you're looking forward to on that ride, what we're going to capture there, how you think that mood and vibe is going to be? Um, I know you've invited a good friend of yours. What's that going to be like for you um, as an opportunity?
0: Well, I, I think the going out for your, your daily ride or your weekly loop that you do on the weekends, um, you get really familiar with it you you're on your bike you you love you love the way that it's riding and, and you're getting your you're getting your workout that you want to get riding from one place to another is something that as a racer we always did you know you right. start in a city and you end in another city and what happens in between is where the racing happens and and you know the the odd conversations and the scary moments and the you know climbs that just went on forever and and but as soon as you get across the finish line you kind of forget about it you know it's gone when you have an opportunity to do that with training um something i do with with teddy king in the summer is we we do our 200 on 100 which has morphed into all these different kinds of rides but um the idea is you start in one place you end in another and what happens on the road you just you have no idea what's coming so you end up Taking one turn you may not have planned on taking or whatever. Um, I think doing a ride like that is something that distills the idea of what cycling is, and it's it's about freedom that you can get out your out your driveway to riding in a place you've never been and you maybe you'll never get a chance to go back to. And going out in Kentucky like that, I they have tons of roads. They're beautiful. They also have tons of dirt roads which yeah. no one knows about. So I think whatever we find out there is definitely going to be pretty fun.
1: Yeah, that'll be killer. You know, one thing that I thought about today before we left for our ride with the the crew here from Cannondale and how you've matured over the years, you know, you and I have ridden a long time ago on the North Shore, Boston, Never got a safety brief when you were 18, <laughs> 19 year old, 20 year old whippersnapper. But now I've been on several rides with you as as a mature adult here, and every time it's, you've given a safety brief. How have you how have you evolved your riding safety etiquette? How have you built that into your program that I think every time now it feels like something you do that you give this quote unquote safety brief?
0: Uh, yeah, well, it, using the word safety kind of ruins the effect of it because sure, it's sure. not. You know, like when you say, oh, let's be safe, guys, then that's the the trigger to, to not pay attention, just yeah. kind of drift off. But, um, you know, I think that it's it really started because when we were at training camps with a team of 12 or 18 riders, you know, you're riding two by two out there on the roads, so you're out there all day long, every day, there's, a, there's an unwritten rule set of, of etiquette and courtesy that you have for your teammates, but also you kind of don't want to get in the way. You don't want to cause trouble because that's going to just slow you down as a group. So you kind of have this ability to, to manage the group. And, and as I was road captain with a team. And, and so we were just always doing that. It was always managing the safety of the group the speed of the group, intensity, all that stuff. Um, the work I do with people for bikes is that, um, we're riding trying to, to really change the behavior of, of us as riders you know yeah. we're out there training four five six days a week it's it's the it's we're the ones that are going to help help things or we're going to ones that are going to perpetuate the problems that we have which are you know cars don't know how to react to us you know sometimes we ride in the middle of the road sometimes we blow stop signs, sometimes we yeah. you know the survival instincts that that we had and that i had as an 18 year old riding back then was just whatever it took to get uh, through the ride safely is kind of the approach that we took, but really that that doesn't work. You know, you do a group ride, you you do a small group ride, whatever it is. When cars when cars meet riders, if they meet us and they they hate us at that moment, then they're going to take it out on another rider or another group of riders. Yeah. And so, you know, getting getting buzzed or getting yelled at, getting you know the finger out the window, those are all really bad things yeah. you know and it's it's easy to laugh them off then but it's it's kind of a it's a it's an illness that we have as riders that i think we need to really be aware of and try and be change our behavior we get a lot of we get a lot of benefits from bike lanes and bike paths and and the work that advocates do to make it easier for us to ride it's like we kind of have to appreciate that you know yeah. so if we get stuff then we have to give stuff and we need to give better behavior as as
1: cyclists i think yeah, it's a good point that the indelible moment on a motorist with a group of cyclists isn't left with the group they just passed. It's no. usually the future group or the two future groups that they've seen. So it's no. a, a really good point and something that us as cyclists don't always think about that the next group's on the road that has to deal with that angry motorist and, yeah. and those kinds of things. So, and, and
0: and really, yeah. you can't control what anyone else will ever do. Yeah. You can only truly control what you do. Yeah. <clears throat> Let's
1: shift gears a little bit here, figuratively. Um, you know, you've had the opportunity to ride prototype bikes, prototype cross bikes. You've been on the Synapse disc for a few times. You've spent a ton of miles on the Evo, I'm sure, training, racing, um, riding. What's your impressions? Do you have a favorite between the two? How do you think, um, the Synapse compares to the Evo? Um, I, I think the, the
0: type of riding that I do is really what determines the bike that I'm going to ride that day or make, or I'm going to stay on for a few weeks. Um, the The Synapse disc is a lot more like my my Super X disc, which it's easy for me to go back and forth from that. So during mm-hmm. cross season, I'll swap from Super X to Synapse. Um, I'll just swap the wheels and I'll keep the road tires that I have on my on my Synapse and throw them on my Super yeah. X and back and forth. Racing a, a road race on the Evo is just perfect. You know, it's like exactly what it's designed for, and it's perfect at that job. Yeah. Um, I've also kind of ridden that I've ridden the Evo outside of spectrum. You know, it's like yeah. it's preferred use. I've also yeah. ridden on these uh dirt road races that are just, you know, balls to the wall, you're going as fast as you can. Um, and it worked fine. Yeah. Which I yeah. knew it would. Yeah. But there are better systems for it. Um, you know, when I get on when I get on my my synapse disc and I've got like, you know, sixty-five PSI and nice yeah. fat tires. I could ride that thing all day, and I'd be totally happy with it. i could go uphill, downhill, you know, dirt road, whatever, right. whatever I whatever I needed to ride. Um, and then there's you know the Evo, the way that is is just no one's gonna drop me when I'm on you know <laughs> when I'm on that thing.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. We had um, a conversation earlier today with engineers and product management about future product development. And certainly, I won't give away any secrets of what's coming down the road. But how has disc brakes changed? the way you race, the way you approach a race for uh, your Super X bike in, in the cross world?
0: Uh, I think discs really changed a lot of what we do on, on our cross bikes. Um, you know, immediately going from candies to disc was a, was a behavior change. You know, I had to really change out braking distances and, and the way things were going to work. Um, you know, how, how I was going to approach a corner or, um, you know, a dismount, whatever it was. They they work better first of all a yeah. lot better yeah. um, you know they're more consistent we we worked a lot in development of making sure the brakes were, were set up right and and pad choice and everything with SRAM and you know we got we got a lot of things really figured out obviously they had some issues last fall that I know are are settled and i yeah I can't wait to get those brakes back because I I really hated to go backwards yeah you know, it's
1: yeah
0: I. I that was such a tough thing to stomach at that time. It was like three quarters of the season was over. We had Nationals coming up, and all of a sudden you're told you can't use this certain, right. certain item that you've really come to rely upon. It's a bad thing to happen at that time. Um, so I, I'm really looking forward to getting back in the hydro and, and you know using it next year again.
1: So, you know, Carbon Super X technology's come a long way. What's your impression? What's your favorite between Super X and the E old CAD nine cross bike?
0: (laughs) I love my CAD nine. That was a, that was a great bike. Um, You know, what that did with, with aluminum and what that did with the cross bike category was huge because cross bikes were always kind of a forgotten member of the family. And, you know, here it was, all of a sudden we get a, we get a bike that had real development and had a bike that was really well thought through, and you you race on that thing, and it, it was a huge advantage over yeah. anyone else in in your racing against. Yeah. And Super X was was a lot of that same thing because all of a sudden we took something that was already that good, and we made it even better by being in carbon. And you know the front end was solid. the The way that the bike tracks and reacts, I think, it's perfectly suited for what kind of racing we have here in the states. You know, it's quick. There's a lot of turns. You know, it's really up and down all the time. Um, so I think that. You know, if I were to do a little throwback ride, I'd probably go I'd go for my Cat 9 but I'm I'm happy with my Super X. <laughs>
1: throwback ride to Cat 9.
0: Hey Tim, what do you got going on right now? So I, I've been spending a lot of time um, now since it is my off season working on Ride on Chicago, which is a spin off of Ride on Washington. We uh, we ride to raise money for people for bikes. This year we're doing it from Kansas City to Chicago. Uh, through some of the some of the cities in the Midwest that don't typically get a lot of um, a lot of the interest uh, from really the, the cycling world. I mean, there's great history of cycling in those areas for a hundred years of, you know, racing clubs and races and all kinds of stuff. Um, what we, what we see in bike advocacy and, and what I've been hearing is that, you know, there's a lot of benefits to a small and medium sized city that bikes can bring. And it's, it's hopefully we can see more of that happening in the cities that aren't New York or, or San Francisco or, or Boston or D.C., um, you know, riding through that area going up to Chicago. Chicago has done great things with bike advocacy and they've really embraced the bike for a city that size. It's been a pretty amazing transformation in the last few years so we kind of want to highlight that while you know,
1: seeing what we can do in the, in the rest of the country. Cool. Rapid fire session here. So these are quick questions and answers. First thing that comes to mind after the question's is asked, uh, no right or wrong answer, just uh, what you're Favorite things are so favorite cross race of the season.
0: Oh man,
1: okay. On to the next <laughs> Madonna or Janet Jackson? Madonna favorite beer. Oh, Allagash favorite cross race of the season. <laughs> Providence, Providence, tallest uh, teammates, tallest, right? Friendliest, Katie, fastest, Katie, <laughs> most hungry, <laughs> Curtis. First concert? Eric Clapton. Dog's name? Uh, Little Man and May. <laughs> your, favorite, your ideal post-ride indulgence? Man, yogurt. <laughs> red or white? White. Green or red? Green. Blue or yellow? Blue. Boxers or brutes Boxers. Hair gel or no? Sometimes. Disc or canty. Disc. East or West Coast? <laughs> East Coast in the house. <laughs> Last U2 album.
0: Uh god, what was um Where the Streets Have No Name was what album was that? I don't know. Joshua, Joshua Tree, Tree, yeah, Joshua, right. Joshua
1: Tree. Socks or Celts. Socks. <laughs> Bruins or Patriots. Uh <laughs> Bruins. Preferred Sokite. Medium. tougher Slovak. Peter or Zdeno Chara? Uh, probably Peter, I'd say, actually. Name three pasta varieties.
0: Uh, tagliatelle, spaghetti,
1: and angel hair? Angel hair, <laughs> nice. Hamburger or cheeseburger? Cheeseburger. Lube, wet or dry? Wet. Razor or wax? Razor. Miles or kilometers? Case. Clincher or tubular? Quincher. Tubeless or Tubes. Tubes above 100 psi or under 80 psi what's Un- your favorite under 80 carbon fiber or aluminum carbon and to bring it home last one what tire pressure do you run for your cycle cross tires uh 18 to 25 mm-hmm. tim johnson i want to thank you very much <laughs> for showing up to our first Cannondale Whew. fans podcast that was, it was a brutal. great pleasure thank you and have a good day